This is Point of View with Chris Berg. Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thanks so much for joining us and Happy New Year. We start tonight with some breaking news. Many people are concerned about the Electoral College vote coming up on Wednesday. Just before I came on the air, both, both Senator John Hoven and Senator Kevin Kramer said that they will not, they will not be objecting to the Electoral College vote coming up on Wednesday. Stay with us because coming up here in just a moment, we're going to have Congressman Kelly Armstrong live. He as well is choosing not to join roughly 140 of his House colleagues to object to the Electoral College vote as well. Many of you are saying, hey, they should be listening to their constituents and objecting. We're going to give Congressman Armstrong a chance to explain why he is making the decision that he is. Before we bring in Congressman Armstrong, though, I also want to just share with you a little bit to create some context tonight for you about one of the hottest stories over the past couple of days, and that is the phone conversation that was recorded between President Trump and the Secretary of State from Georgia, President Trump essentially asking, hey, what can we do to go find 11,000 and roughly 800 votes to overturn the vote in Georgia? I want to share with you a little bit of the phone call in this package and just also some more information to give you some context. We'll ask Congressman Armstrong about it on the other side. Attempt yet to overturn the results of the 2020 election. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have. In audio first obtained by the Washington Post of a Saturday phone call, President Trump pressed Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to change the vote count, citing disproven claims of fraud. So dead people voted. And I think uh, the, the number is in the pro uh, close to 5,000 people. Georgia recounted its vote multiple times before certifying Joe Biden's victory. Raffensperger, a Republican, fact-checked the president in real time. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. Two people that were dead that voted. And so that's wrong. The hour-long call comes after the Trump campaign lost dozens of legal challenges in several states. So I'd love to know your point of view on that phone call between President Trump and the Georgia Secretary of State. And joining us now to talk about that and much, much more live via Skype, Congressman Kelly Armstrong. Congressman Armstrong, welcome back to Point of View and Happy New Year. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Before we jump into this, I do want to get your reaction to President Trump. We are going to talk about your decision. But first and foremost, I want to say I apologize to you before the end of the year. There was the big omnibus bill I had put out there on this show that you had voted for it. You'd voted no. I corrected at the end of the show, but just wanted to say my bad uh, to you. And I apologize for that. So let's jump in. I, appreci I appreciate it. But I, you guys run hot too, Chris. I know how it happens. Well, thank you for understanding. But man, that was one of those where I was like, you know, I thought I had good intel and I just didn't. So I wanted to do this on TV with you because I had a chance to talk to you. So let's talk about the situation with President Trump. Um, is there something criminal? I mean, many people are calling this Nixonian, the phone call, is there a possibility, you're an attorney, that President Trump could be in some sort of legal trouble because of this call with the Georgia Secretary of State? Oh, I don't know about that. I would have to read Georgia criminal statute, which I'd just be honest, I haven't had time today. But listen, one of the reasons everybody loves President Trump is because he talks differently than normal politicians. It's also what gets him into trouble an awful lot of times. I would just want to say, if people listen to it, please listen to the whole call one way or the other. I mean, the president actually ends the call with, I just want the truth. And listen, before we get into the rest of this, I have no doubt that the president believes it wholeheartedly that fraud occurred 
in Georgia and fraud occurred in six of these other states. And I don't think he's trying to I don't think he's trying to manipulate those things and trying to cheat in any way. I think he really believes that occurred. So do you believe fraud occurred in Georgia and these other states? I believe fraud occurs in every single election, but I can just tell you, and and this is, goes back to being a criminal defense attorney, back into the state legislature and all of it. At this point, it's not what you believe, it's what you can prove. And just the unfortunate reality is in, in over 50 cases in all six of these states, they have simply not proven any, or any level of fraud. And even in cases where they um, have been heard, which by the way, one of the conversations about this is people say they haven't been heard anywhere. That's not true. They've been heard, I mean, in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Nevada, and they have been heard on the merits, and they have not gotten anywhere in any one of the cases. Well, and some of the evidence you're hearing has uh, gone awry, but I, I don't want to get into that unless we have time. Then yeah. Let's start with this. I do want to read some of your statements, sir, just so our audience has got some context and ask you some questions about that on the other side. So you can read with these graphic, please. You started off, and this is a joint statement with other people, by saying this. We, like most Americans, are outraged at the significant abuses in our election system resulting from the reckless adoption of mail-in ballots and the lack of safeguards maintained to guarantee that only legitimate votes are cast and counted. It is shameful that between both chambers of the U.S. Congress, you've held only precisely one hearing on election integrity since Election Day. You go on to say that people cannot trust a system that refuses to guarantee that only legal votes are cast to select its leaders. The elections held in at least six battleground states raise profound questions and it is a legal, constitutional, moral imperative that they be answered. But only the states have the authority to appoint electors in accordance with state law. Congress has only a narrow role in the presidential election process. It's job to count the electors submitted by the states, not to determine which electors the states should have sent. So a couple questions for you, sir. You say here that you are outraged at the significant abuses in this election system. If you're so outraged, why not object to this electoral college vote? Well, I think the answer to that is pretty simple. And Article 2 and the 12th Amendment are pretty clear. Um, it says the co co a person having the greatest number of electoral votes for president shall be president. It does not say unless Congress objects or Congress wants to investigate. And that's the language of the Constitution. Uh, after, the, after the Civil War, um, states were sending dual electors to Congress. So then Congress passed the Electoral Count Act. And the Electoral Count Act, it just simply says electors sent by the governor are conclusive. Our role is very limited in what we can do. Uh, it should be limited. I spent three years as the state party chairman, four years as the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And uh, that was in charge of our election law in North Dakota. And if some congressman in Pennsylvania would have objected to our elections in North Dakota, I would have been apoplectic. Uh, that is just the answer. Uh, uh, elections are in the process of the state. They need to stay in the state. Congress is the absolute last place in the world that should be de determining state elections. All right, well, we will get some more of that in a moment. I guess the big question that many people are going to have is you say that you're outraged, that, hey, there, there was abuses and things of that nature. And so, as you say in your statement, look, the Democrats control the House. It's not you're going to overturn the election results. But why not take a stand with a like? My question is, what's the downside? 140 of your colleagues are doing it. What's the downside for you to say? I'm not sure that number is right either. We'll wait and see. But I mean, I'll tell you what the downside is, is and I think this is just I mean, from a purely political standpoint and from somebody who's a Republican and believes in federalism and believes in the Electoral 
electoral college, we have one. I mean, we have zero chance of success. It is a straight majority vote in the U.S. House on objections per state. But what we do do is set up a precedent that absolutely will change how we pick presidents forever. And we will putting that be be putting that final determination in Congress's hands, which is not what our founders wanted, which is not what the Constitution wanted. And I promise people it is not what the citizens of North Dakota want. Okay, you, 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 Congress, you might be shocked at this. But I'm going to play a clip for you that I actually agree with this person back in 2005. And this is Speaker Pelosi objecting. She says, look, we're not going to overturn the election here. This is about, and at the end of this, I wish I had this quote. I don't here, but I want to place it over. She says at the end of what she said on the, on the House floor was, look, this isn't about conspiracy theories. This is about the Constitution. <laughs> that was Nancy Pelosi. So here's some of what she had to say about the Ohio Electoral College. We'll talk about it on the other side. As for after the election, the American people must have every confidence that every vote legally cast will be legally counted and accurately counted. But constantly shifting vote tallies in Ohio and malfunctioning electronic machines, which may not have paper receipts, have led to additional loss of confidence by the public. I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, Congressman, but I think I could take those words, put them in your mouth, and you'd feel pretty confident about them based on what happened in 2020, wouldn't you? So why not do that? Not on the floor of the U.S. House, and I am not taking my advice on how elections are going to be run from um, Speaker Pelosi, whether it's 2005 or 2020. Uh, I would also say, if you listen to that whole thing, it's pretty interesting to listen to the Republicans from Ohio push back on whether the time, place, and manner is this. But listen, Chris, I've sworn three oaths to the Constitution, once as a lawyer, once as a state rep, and now once as a U.S. congressman. And if I can't get by the Constitution or a legal argument, the rest of it, to me, doesn't really matter. I don't think what uh, my colleagues are planning on doing is constitutional, and I think it's dangerous. So help us under, like, I'm not a constitutional lawyer. What's not constitutional about you simply standing up and speaking on the House floor about your point of view on the Electoral College and what happened in 2020 when you say here you're outraged at the significant abuses? The Constitution gives the gives the election process to state legislatures, for the most part, state courts, and in very limited circumstances, federal courts. That is how Article Two. That is how the Twelfth Amendment. That is how the Electoral Court Act work. We at that right now, at this point in time in Congress, we do not have any competing set of electors from any states. There are every state, every single state is certified, and I think this is important. In five of the six states that are being contested are controlled by Republicans, and not even one of those states, do we have a majority of Republicans in those states asking us to object to those delegates? That I mean, from somebody who's served in a state legislature, believes we want to keep the federal government out of our elections in North Dakota as much as possible, I think that's really important. But the answer is, it's just quite simply, we don't have the discretion in Congress to do this if you read Article 2 in the 12th Amendment. So Article 2, 12th Amendment, yes. Uh, your, your colleague, Representative Mo Brooks, suggests Article 1, Section 4, you do again. I'm not a constitutional expert, but I want to, I want to share this. Well, I, that's important because Article One deals with how we elect congressmen and senators. Article right. Two de- determines how we elect the president. Uh, I mean, I, with all due respect to anybody <laughs> citing Article One, they're in the wrong part of the Constitution. Thank you for saying that because when you read it, I, I was like, well, Representative Mo Brooks, this is about. But anyways, yeah, it, it wasn't about the president. Uh, so I want to say one more legal item here and then talk about more of the heart of this for you and what's happening with your constituents. But you say in your statement as well, only the states have authority to appoint electors in accordance with state law. Back in the end of September, the House Judiciary Committee released a 
study or statement, if you will, regarding the fact of the impact that all this mail-in voting is going to take place. I want to share with you just an excerpt from it, sir, and give you a chance to respond if this isn't reason enough to object. So Pennsylvania allows voters to apply for absentee ballots as late as Tuesday, October 27th. This is from your report, meaning the House yep. Judiciary Committees. The state legislature said those ballots had to be returned by the county election officials on election night by November 3rd, but then the Democrat majority in the state Supreme Court allowed ballots to be accepted until November 6th, three days after the election. So here you've got not the legislature, but a Supreme Court making those decisions. Isn't that a legal reason enough for you to, for you to object? Well, is it a legal reason? Absolutely. And by the way, uh, there's a lot of things that have changed in these states through executive branch versus legislative branch. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court actually weighed in on a bunch of that saying, I mean, essentially saying you guys cannot sue now. This has been a law for uh, um, over 12 months and it's called latches, but we could get into that. But the other problem with that is, is when you talk about the co-mingling, there's two things. One, in all fairness, the Trump team should have been in court asking for an injunction at three o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. That injunction actually got granted by Justice Alito by himself on Friday. So there are certain things that happen there. And two, even with the number of ballots they're talking about, there is nobody disputing that the ballots that they would throw out would not be enough to change the change the outcome of the election. I think it's eight, between eight and twelve thousand ballots total that they're talking about in an eighty thousand in an eighty thousand vote loss in Pennsylvania. So you, you you're running into you're conflating or we're conflating several issues. But one, yeah, there are problems. They need to be solved. That's why we hope Republican legislatures do that. Two, we wish some people would have been a little better in a courtroom, maybe spent more time writing briefs than spending time on social media. That would have been helpful. <laughs> and three, we're still the absolute last place in the world that this should be occurring. And just by reading the Constitution. So do so, you feel this was a free and fair election, fair election, one? And two, do you believe in your heart of hearts that Joe Biden got more votes than Donald Trump? I believe in what I, I mean, I, I'll tell you the same thing. I'll tell everybody else. Do I think there's voter fraud in this election? I do. I think there's voter fraud in every election. By the way, we can ask some of our friends to the eastern part of the state how they feel voter fraud went in Democratic primaries where Republicans aren't even involved. But that's not the point. The point isn't what you believe and what you know. You cannot, we cannot get to a place where we're saying, listen, it hasn't been proved anywhere. We haven't shown it conclusively in any court of law in front of any legislative body, but we just know it happened. So Congress should object. That is a very dangerous legal precedent, and it is a very dangerous political precedent. What about the angle that Josh Hawley's taken from a standpoint about Google, Facebook, and Twitter? Do you agree with him that Google, Facebook... Well, I agree with that 100%, which is why I've been one of the fiercest critics of social media. But having social media bias is not where you get to a free and fair election. I mean, if we're going to talk about how news is covered, whether it's in those avenues or on shows like this or on radio or cable news, that is not the, that is simply not how you get to object to an elect to a properly certified electoral electoral vote from a state. But I mean, could there be something and I don't want to get into this because I want to move on, but an in-kind contribution regarding I mean, Twitter, you know, censoring the Hunter Biden story, which now has been proven to be true. I guess last questions are I'm assuming that you're on. Yeah, what? Oh, I was going to say the, the in-kind contribution thing is actually pretty interesting. I've been uh, a pretty vocal critic of all of them and how they have handled that Hunter Biden thing. I think it was terrible. I think I think they made stuff up as they go along. I think it was wholeheartedly involved because of what was going on in the election. And I, I that that is an interesting legal concept that when it gets fleshed out, will be interesting. 
very interesting, and you're right, Jack Dorsey. I'm glad you showed up, you know, suit and tie, unlike Jack Dorsey for his testimony. Uh, last question, sir. I'm assuming you keep track of all the phone calls and emails from your constituents coming in regarding this uh, object or don't object. What have you been hearing from constituents? Is it 60-40, 70-30, 50-50? Where is it at? People are pretty angry and people are pretty fired up and rightfully so. And listen, I can tell you, I've spent the last 10 days trying to figure out a way to get to a yes, along with, I mean, some of my colleagues who I think are some of the most conservative, smartest lawyers in Congress, Chip Roy, Ken Buck, Thomas Massey. Uh, but I it just eventually when you get there, it's it's like I said, I mean, it's tough and it's really tough when you know how passionate North Dakota citizens are about Trump. But I'm just I mean, at the end of the day, if I don't think it's constitutional, I can't support it. But aren't you elected to represent the will of the people in the state of North Dakota? I'm elected to represent the will of people of the state of North Dakota. I also swear three different. I swear an oath on the Constitution, and I just don't think I, I don't think the Constitution could be more clear about what our role but is. I, but I think that's what I'm saying. Nancy Pelosi did it. You, you, we had other people do it. Like what, what's uh, I guess final question? What's unconstitutional about you simply standing up and saying, "Hey, I object"? Uh, Article two. 12th amendment they both say that we are we are our, our role is limited i have no doubt uh what they did but i am not like i will say it again i am not going by what nancy pelosi did in 2005 no, I, mean, I go by the reading of the constitution and so that's what i read ted cruz i mean he was a, a person that you know did cases in front of the supreme court he knows the constitution sure. he's objecting tomorrow yeah I, I disagree with Ted Cruz's position. I don't know what I mean. That's that's the point. I also don't think it's humanly possible to set up a commission in 10 days, have debates in five in six different states, then have a debate in Congress and come to a conclusion. So, but I'll let people use their own conclusion about why that was chosen. You don't think the government could do that? Congress. I don't think we, I don't think we could pick out the coffee in 10 days to set it up through a federal government commission. Congressman Armstrong, I know you've been getting a lot of heat for this. So I really appreciate you coming on, explaining yourself. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back. All right. Thanks. Thank you, sir. All right. Stay with us. We'd love to know your point of view on that. If you want, I think we've got a graphic of this. If you want to reach out to Congressman Armstrong office, please do so as you hear there. He's willing to hear from you. But his phone number, I don't know if we've got that or not, Producer Anna, but it's 202-225-2611 for his D.C. office. Again, 202 225 22611. Just Google Congressman Armstrong's Washington, D.C. office, and you can let your point of view be known there. All right, stay with us when we come back. we got much more coming up. As always, you can share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voice on our Facebook page as well. We'll be right back.